welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 261. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Star Trek Discovery's first season episodes, Context is for Kings, and The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. Here we go. Context is for Kings, Season 1, Episode 3. Original air date, October 1st, 2017. Directed by Akiva Goldsman. Story by Brian Fuller, Gretchen J. Berg, and Aaron Harbitz. Teleplay by Gretchen J. Berg, Aaron Harbitz, and Craig Sweeney. Guest cast includes Rekha Sharma as Landry. Six months after the start of the Federation Klingon War of 2256, Michael Burnham is on an unexpected prisoner transfer when an emergency forces her shuttle to be rescued by USS Discovery. Burnham is asked by the mysterious Captain Gabriel Lorca to assist with a scientific assignment. When she respectfully refuses, Lorca orders her back into service. After an awkward reunion with First Officer Saru, Burnham is assigned to engineering, spending hours poring over complex computer code. Who are you? I'm Michael Burnham. I was assigned. Who gave you an assignment? I'm the only one who gives assignments around here. I remember after this episode aired, I think I texted you guys. Or no, I was not Adam because I knew Adam. I knew that you were not watching the show. But I think I texted you, Steve, like, oh, this is the show. <laughs> you know? It's like, now that's not saying good, bad, whatever. But this is the show. You know, we didn't know that the we talked last time about how those first two episodes were a prologue, but we didn't know that when we were watching it because nobody told us that. Again, I kind of wish they had, but fine. Watching this episode is when I realized this is the show and that thing was a prologue. So now I feel like we can actually, you know, talk about the show and as the actual dis- discovery is in discovery now, <laughs> which by the way, very cool shot. Uh, first shot showing off the ship is really cool. But yeah, that was the, 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 I'll never forget that being so kind of almost dumbstruck. Like, I mean, why did they do that? I, it's like illogical and not putting your best foot forward. And I don't, and I think all that would have gone away if they just said, we're actually going to open up with this like two part prologue, but don't you have that conversation again? Now we're actually talking about Star Trek Discovery. Context for Kings is the show. Steve, start us on this one. Yeah, so I, I, I definitely remember all of that. Um, what you described, I completely agree. If they had have just set the stage for us, you know, um, it would have been uh, better. I mean, because especially because now I can appreciate it. You know, I go into it and I know what's happening and it, and it just makes it all better. I mean, I feel like, okay, this is the pilot, really. Context is for Kings. The others were a prologue and that's cool. You know, and and I like it, and and in the in the case in this case again, I think I like it better than I liked it the first time. Um, tr- you know, considering it like a pilot for this season at the very least. Um, and also, as we'll see going forward, what makes Discovery interesting too is that, at least initially, is that each each season is kind of its own thing in terms of the cast. You know, there there are subtle shifts and so forth, especially. You know, looking back now with Lorca being, you know, the captain and so forth, uh, you know, I, I, I think this I think this is interesting. I think what this episode does is interesting. Obviously, I think it does. a. If, if you consider this as a pilot, I think it's pretty decent in terms of introducing um, the main characters. They all kind of get that get that moment, you know, uh, on the whole, they all get that moment in, in introducing who they are. And, and as we discussed last time, um, sometimes the, the writing is a little wonky early on. It doesn't quite fit what we're used to, but that's normal. But, you know, overall, overall, I enjoyed it. And I, I, um, I, another, another thing we're, I'm sure, sure we'll get into is that I remember that with correspondence with you, Brian, was the, um, when it became clearly not a family-friendly um, Star Trek, and uh, and that was this episode, the horror scene, the horror section when they're investigating uh, the Glen and all the body mm-hmm. parts and all that stuff. Yeah, yes. So um, it's in a, in a way everything kind of starts here, you know, um, in terms of what we're what we're going to have for this new series and so forth. Um, but you know, there are interesting characters. They're introduced in interesting ways. It's, it's, it is a, um, I, like I said, I, I think I liked it better this time than when I originally saw it. Um, 
and uh, the the general premise right there with the title and getting getting them insi- some insight into Lorca's character with that. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's something new and fresh, and it's it's kind of interesting to start off this season. Yeah. So the the whole thing about boy, that really hurt me that this show wasn't okay for families, and I, and I realize in a, a tiny tiny small percentage of that was just that I was at this perfect point in my life. My 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 son was just the right age that I could start. I thought we could start watching this Star Trek show together, and that was such a I don't know, a fundamental part of what Star Trek always was to me, that it's okay, that it's, that it's not just okay for families, but it's almost like a family show. You know, families sat around and watched, you know, Next Gen when I was a kid, and, and that was a thing. Like, And I assume it was that way, the original series, but it was definitely okay for that, and it promoted conversation, and it was positive values, and the hopeful future, all those kind of things that made it an okay family show, but on a in a basic way, <laughs> it didn't have severed body parts and blood, and as we're going to find out in later episodes, profanity and stuff. And it's rated um, TV, what is it, MA or whatever the adult rating thing is. And this, they could only get away with on a streaming service. This wouldn't fly on network TV. Actually, that reminds me. I know they aired this on an, on. They ended up airing all the first season, didn't they? What did they do with the f bombs? Did they beep them out or something? I don't know. I guess I never looked into it. Yeah, I have to look up that up. But I've I've been complaining about it for years, and it's my complaints about this have settled down because I've just you know we've accepted this is what the show is. But you know I I feel like in a, in a small way the show never came back from that, and a lot of the same people on this show would go on and be a part of Picard, and Picard was the same kind of thing. If if anything, Picard's even worse. It's worse in that it has way more F-bombs, et cetera. <laughs> but it's also literally a sequel to the family show. You know, At least Discovery was trying to be you know, fresh, but Picard is like you know, the, the, next, gen- the next, next generation show. So I, I think I've realized I'm just never going to be okay with it, and it's really affected how I can enjoy these shows and changed for, for the worse um what defines star trek to me and that kind of that kind of sucks and i could talk about this in every single podcast and i'm i'm not going to do that that isn't me saying something negative about you know this could be the greatest episode ever this could be the greatest show ever that's a different topic um this isn't a good or bad thing uh i mean this isn't me talking about the quality of the show that's what i mean this is me saying that star trek was a family show and this new star trek has changed the definition of star trek and i don't think it's for the better i've seen their explanations about why and i don't think it's for the better now maybe when we get i know there's that nickelodeon show that that's me is it seems like that nickelodeon show was meant for you know kids i'm not and i think it's um very limited understanding of maturity to say well either you got an f-bomb or it's for kids. Because <laughs> that is not what the original series was. Right. That is not what Next Gen was. Uh, it was, it's not what DS9 or Voyager were. It's not what any of the movies have been. I think it's much harder and more commendable to do what the other show, uh, that the previous Star Trek has done. So I'm kind of lamenting this loss. Um, it feels like you can never put the genie back in the bottle. So maybe that stuff's gone forever. And that sucks. So I guess I've said my piece on it. I might mention it here or there, but I'm not going to go into this level of detail. But it saddens me. It saddens me that I thought this was going to be a show for my whole family to watch. And starting with this episode, it was from here on out, it was literally just me (laughs) watching it by myself, which is how it's been for years now. As opposed to The Mandalorian, (laughs) that great for families and maybe it doesn't have as much to say as Next Gen. There's not as much for the family to have a conversation about. But it's sure okay for the it's family entertainment and and fun. Anyway, Adam, does this bother you at all? Um, not in the slightest. I understand where you're coming from. I understand what you're saying, but it's just, um, you know, I, maybe it's because I don't have kids. Um, uh, it's it's a different time. It's a different place. Um, I mean, you know, I I don't think um, who's to say if next gen or or DS9 or those shows wouldn't have done it if they could have. They, it's, it was a different time. They were, you know, it's broadcast television. 
um, stricter codes back then. It's just it's just the way it is. It's the changing of the times. You know? I don't agree with that. I mean, you think about somebody like Michael Piller. You know, he wanted to make a show that was a family show. Uh, and I don't mean a family show like, I don't know, Little House on the Prairie. I mean a show that families can watch t- together and everybody well, can get something talking, different like, out of it. Like, when you were yeah. talking to, just talking about The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian's not exactly a kid's show either. There's a lot of violence in The Mandalorian. I mean, a lot of people get killed, but because you don't say an F-bomb, it's okay. It's it's okay. Yeah, but that's the difference between a PG-13 movie and an R movie or a PG... You know, you can you can yeah, have, you vi- I mean, you mean, have violence, but, but you're but not going to have but to me it's the blood oozing from the severed body part. It's still violence. I mean, would you show The Mandalorian to a four-year-old? Yeah, but the original series had violent... Every single episode had a fist fight. I'm not talking about... That's, that's exactly what I'm saying, though. I'm not talking about a kid's show. Uh-huh. I'm assuming the Nickelodeon thing is going to be but like a kid's show. But you're, you're making a distinction between profanity and violence. Like you're okay with violence, but profanity is where you draw the line. I'm okay with, I'm okay with calling somebody a jerk. I'm not okay with calling somebody an f head, <laughs> spelled out. I'm okay with with Luke Skywalker, you know, getting his hand chopped off. I'm not okay with Luke Skywalker getting his hand chopped off, holding up his stubby arm and it. Squirting out blood all over the camera. That's the difference between, you know, PG violence and our violence, PG language and our language. Star Trek was always just like Star Wars, and that it was the PG violence and language, and I was okay so with that. So you don't think it's just as horrific to a child to see an arm cut off, whether it's blood squirts out or not? Well, I wouldn't it's play. Just, it's, it's, I wouldn't play a four-year-old. I'm not talking about four-year-olds here. I'm talking about you know. Yeah, but I mean, what you're what you're getting into is taste. Your taste is to not have that, and that's where no, we're no, at. No, no. my argument is that this is what Star Trek was, and they have changed it, and it, that's. Not... But you're saying you can't put the genie. They can make a. Sh- they could make a PG show again. It's not like they can't. They're. I mean, I understand why they're doing this. Whether 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 you think it's right or not, it's. I understand why they went this way. They're trying to modernize the show, and I don't actually have a problem with them throwing in actual things that mirror life. People swear. You swear, I swear, everybody swears. I don't think I don't have a problem with that putting that in the show, and it wouldn't bother me to show that to a nine-year-old because if you want to shield your kids from that, it's not going to make any difference. They're still going to hear it probably now, when even when they're younger. So to me, it just every time it, it feels like like the Beatles are singing yesterday, and all of a sudden they drop the f bomb in the yeah, middle of the song. But that's a, that's a poor that, that's a poor um, comparison. Well, I think, you know, I think, I think it might make a bit of a difference in what it brings to it, right? Because, you know, I mean, we, we've all seen things that have either extreme violence, extreme profanity, extreme sexual content, whatever, that are, are is really good material, right? And um, I know what we're talking about here is, is the continuity of older Star Trek with newer Star Trek. And but there are a lot of variables, right? There's, there's, there's a, a constantly shifting threshold, for one thing, as time goes on, in terms of what we consider PG, PG-13, are kind of... Uh, uh, quality to it, but there's also what does it bring to it, and we, and we'll probably discuss this more in the episode where they drop the f bomb for the first time because that's the that's more distinctive in that case. But it's it's a case of do we think that they're just doing it to do it right? And and I think with the, with the with the f with the f bomb one, I think we're all probably going to agree that that like why <laughs> you know. But in this case, you one could make an argument for this too. You know, there's there are some scenes where it's just like okay, great, you know, let's see some mangled bodies in some twisted, weird way and bloody that we've never seen before. Does that add something to what we perceive as the horror going on here? Maybe, maybe not, you know, and I think, I think that what, what those, what those choices bring to the episode affects the value of it, you know, and it affects, do we think it was worthwhile to do this? Does it, does it add to it or was it some kind of stunt or something? So I, I I definitely agree with you there, Steve. When it's for whether if if it's forced, whether it, you know, a lot of time I'll watch things where I feel like they're just showing nudity to show it. It's not it's not adding to the story. They're just doing it to sell. And so I so I agree with you on that. As, as far as Picard, I mean, I have a less of a problem with it in Picard just because of the setting of the show. They're not on the Enterprise anymore in the in the rigid you know um, command structure where everything's formal. So in Picard, it's it's more. To me, Picard feels more like Firefly, 
and you know we probably would have heard more cussing and firefly if it wasn't a, a cable network show it's just grittier and it just depends on like what you're trying to do i i'll agree with you on on most of the things that come out of this show it's just, it's just kind of forced um but I, I also don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to bring some realistic storytelling into this as long as, as what steve's saying as long as it's not just done just to to, to you know do it what are your what are your kind of general thoughts on this episode adam well yeah i didn't i didn't have the same issue you guys did because i didn't watch it week to week um you know i probably watched probably the first when i watched it i probably burned through at least the first four episodes so um i didn't have quite that same issue but i i I get what you're saying um you know without repeating everything that you guys said earlier you know kind of what we get out of this episode is our main character and this is the thing you know this they're really changing up um our perception of like what the show is focusing on it's it's focusing on michael burnham she's a disgraced starfleet officer who's serving a life term and she's she's put onto this ship and um you know we'll learn the reasons more for that later on in the season but um in this episode it's a you know it's it's redemption and that's kind of where they're going with michael burnham it's not necessarily um captain picard where we see him on starting on top but and all the other captains we're kind of besides the first two episodes, we're kind of coming into with this character at rock bottom. And um, we're starting to see, you know, that we're going to go on a journey with her of redemption. And that's a cool story to tell. And, you know, it's different. And, and, and I like that. And you, you kind of get the first steps of that through the, through this episode. Um, One thing, you know, I I agree with you, Brian, I thought the, um, the first viewing of um, discovery was really cool. And and most other, the series, you know, you kind of get the whole flyby around at the ship and, you know, you know just all all angles um and this one you know you you see it in the clouds and it's a it's a very cool opening to discovery i will say this it took me a little bit to kind of um accept the ship design i wasn't a big fan of it at first but um um over the years i've come to really um dig the the ship design well it's it's based around um that 70s design one of the designs that they did for the motion picture mm-hmm. right yeah i've seen it was a phase yeah. two it was yeah. part of all that phase two motion picture yeah. design so it's it, me that maybe just because i've seen that picture for years but I, I i dig the 70s aesthetic but yeah you're you know it it is uh you're right and, and i agree that it's it's interesting and cool to set a show or set a star trek show kind of around not the captain and the xo you know it's still feels more like that than I would have expected. Um, and it's only going to become more so maybe, but still, you know, at the end of the day, she's going and, and hanging out with Tilly in these tiny, you know, small little nondescript quarters. Oh, it helps a lot. And the Sonequa Martin green is so good. It's one of the, she, she gives a performance that it's like, I just immediately can't imagine anybody else doing it. It's almost like they, you know, it really was, custom written for kind of thing so she's really good jason isaacs captain Lorca. that's one of those things go all the way back to oh they cast scott bacula at enterprise you know when they said jason isaacs was isaac was going to be on this show that was a big deal i mean we all know him mostly from his feature work god i just watched uh death of stalin the other day oh my lord (laughs) it's so funny well it's it's a shame that he's so Lorca is such a bad guy kind of character well, they kind of jump, if I remember right, going back, they kind of jump, they hint back and forth. You know, there's some episodes where it's like, oh, this is kind of a good guy. Um, and, and, even in, and, even, and even in these two episodes we're talking about today, it's not like crystal clear, but you can kind of tell he, this guy operates in a gray area, but you're not sure if he's good or bad. Just friendly reminder now that we're talking about a new-ish show, be sure you've watched the episodes. In fact, I, I, think, it's, I think it's safe that we can kind of spoil, and we're not going to talk about season three that just ended but you know we can talk about these episodes in the context of the entire season one you know knowing what's happening anthony rap we get so you know this being the first time the show we get most of the actual actors that are going to be the the leads uh anthony rap's lieutenant stamets is he's good he's he comes off as pretty prickly he's going to change a lot during the show but i think the most interesting of the new characters to me is actually mary wiseman's tilly tilly is such a I feel like we've seen most of the uh, most of the other people on other Star Treks, but hers seems a little bit. She's so she's quirky, I guess. I don't know, almost like a more functioning Barkley or something. 
but I, I like her. I like her performance, and it's and it's it's different. I feel like Jason Isaacs. We've seen we've seen Captain Lorca. We've seen Captain Lorca usually as an evil admiral in other episodes, other shows. But but Tilly seems pretty pretty unique. So I like her a lot. Again, the production value is fantastic. It looks and sounds great. By the way, I watched the Blu-rays this time because, of course, I canceled my CBS All Access subscription for the because uh, Discovery Season Three was open over. The Blu-ray certainly sounds better than the stream, but it doesn't look as good as the 4K HDR stream. So, oh well. Um, I'm not sure we talked about Jeff Russo's music last time, but I like his music a lot. I think his music for this show is great. His music from the episodes is I can just sit around and listen to it, which isn't really true for. I mean, by design, maybe, but it's not really true for the, especially Next Gen DS9 Voyager, where all those scores were meant to be very nondescript and non-thematic. Jeffrey says music is really good, I, I, and, I, and his, and his main, main uh, titles theme, I think, is excellent, too. It really feels, I don't know, big and orchestral, but modern and works for the show very well. I did like, I did like the scenes um, between Burnham and um, Lorca. Especially the, the end scene, you know, she, you know, she kind of comes to the conclusion that Lorca is trying to create a weapon, mm-hmm. and he actually gives like a an actual really good Starfleet captain speech to her on, on you know, that they're creating this um, new drive, not only to win the war but to explore and those kind of things. I, I remember the first time he said that that scene though. I thought I thought maybe he wasn't telling the truth, and I think it doesn't help that the episode ends. It ends kind of dark. There's like dark with uh, oh they've 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 transported the tardigrade after we have the the horrific horror scenes on the glen. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, I don't I don't think it was an intentional callback, but you know you think about all the other shows where they save money by doing the sister ship thing. And then, you know just the the like redress of engineering. Now we're on another ship. <laughs> but after that whole section, and then we end on Lorca. You know, ominously looking at the captured tardigrade, and it seems like, oh, there's some terrible, awful thing going on. And then it just doubled down on my feeling that he wasn't telling her the truth, which I guess, I mean, he wasn't giving her all, telling her everything, but everything he said about the purpose of discovery and the weapon, that it was about propulsion and not a weapon, was, was true. What do you guys got for what this is about? Does it have anything to do with Lorca's fortune cookies? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into more Lorca more more when we get into the season about how they went went through it. But um, I kind of still think like this is the beginning of redemption. You know, part of this episode is about it's about acknowledgments, healing. Um, you know, facing facing adversity because you know she has to go in. She has to face um, you know some of her old crew, um, Saru. Um, she has to deal, you know, she's, she has to come to terms with like, um, what she did and, um, you know, and it's the beginning of, um, redemption for her, you know, finding, finding a new path for herself. I like the Saru bits, you know, cause you had, he's naturally thoughtful and kind, but he clearly doesn't trust her and he's being factual with her about this. It, it felt I don't know. It felt alien in the way that Vulcan logic can feel alien or something. You know, so I, I like that writing there. I like their performances. Yeah, I like the scenes between Saru and Burnham. Yeah. Uh Steve, you're what it's about? Yeah, I think I think what's kind of tricky also in in not only in the way we would naturally think is difficult to determine what an an episode is about when there's so much you know, uh, continuity. There's so much the it just goes on and on and on and on this, this kind of feel like a season, like in current television does, I think in a, in a bigger picture, it's also, we know what's going to happen. And in, in this context, such big things can happen to characters in the course of a season and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we know, we know what's going to go down and it, maybe it, uh, it creates a, you know, it creates a bias for us in determining just standalone this episode and so on. But I, to me, like I kind of said at the beginning, there's a, there's something to be said for what the the title of this, this context is for Kings, which I think is, is interesting because you have, there's, there's a, there are shades of gray here, you know, where um, if you want to get something done, sometimes, you know, it's like the whole, um, 
uh, you got to break some eggs to make something, whatever that expression is <laughs> anyway. But the, the point is, is that you have to, you know, sometimes bad things have to, have to happen to make some good. But if you go down that path, we see how that can lead to some serious moral issues, you know, and, and knowing what's going to happen, we see what this is, we see the issue here is that, um, Lorca says, okay, we can, we can use, we can use what we've discovered. We can, we can try to figure things out and we can create an advantage for ourselves. But, um, I think there's that moral ambiguity with the notion of, um, the context of a decision using that as an excuse to make, um, moral choices that are, uh, in the end reprehensible in some fashion. I think that's what that's trying to say. I'm not sure that, you know, altogether this episode does that by itself, but I, I think that's maybe, maybe the point to me. Let's do context is for King six degrees, which they are both just trivia questions today. Uh, Steve. Yep. Lorca's lab has a skeleton of a Gorn. Apparently Starfleet doesn't know who the Gorn are though at this point, because first contact would with the Gorn will be made later in what original series episode? Um, Arena. Yes, sir. Moving on. The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, Season 1, Episode 4. Original air date, October 8, 2017. Directed by Alotunde Osunsanbi. Written by Jesse Alexander and Aaron L.A. Colette. Guest cast includes Rekha Sharma as Landry. With tensions and stakes high as Starfleet continues in their effort to end the war with the Klingons, Berman begins to settle into her new position aboard Discovery. The aggressive, deadly tardigrade, now aboard Discovery, is the object of Captain Lorca's borderline obsession as he sees in it a way to defeat the enemy and he orders Berman to study the creature so he can weaponize it. Captain, be advised that the spore drive is online and primed. Primed? Can you control where we're going or not? It's possible, maybe even likely, but done. Open shipwide communication? Yes, Captain. Attention all personnel. Stealth protocol. Run silent. Black alert. Black alert. All right, Adam, kick us off on this one. I'm not. I'm not reading that long, but title out again. <laughs> um, so you know, we're we're kind of not skipping a beat. Um, we're going basically straight from you know um the last episode into this one. Um, you're correcting Brian. You know, you said the last episode kind of ended ominously, and then we kind of begin this one ominously. You know, Lorca bringing Burnham into to study this creature and you know he's pretty upfront about the fact that um he wants to figure out ways to use this creature to um to to win the war you know the armor the the blades that kind of thing and he he puts um berman to task so you know we, again we're still in this kind of like what's this guy what's this guy Lorca about um uh, you know obviously we know we've all seen the series but if you're just stepping into it we, I, I still, I, even when I first watched this, I didn't know where where I was at with Lorca. And the reason I say that is kind of we kind of jumped in with Lorca right in the middle. Um, there aren't th- to me there aren't things that thus far that we that I've seen out of Lorca that we haven't seen out of other captains on Star Trek. Um, and so, but we had those things in context, you know, with um, Cisco. We knew Cisco for years and years before he, you know, did some, you know borderline over the line stuff same with kirk um picard even was probably the the best of them all about not crossing the line but so uh, like i said i wasn't sure i'm not not sure at this point with Lorca is he a good guy or is he a bad guy obviously he is not um (laughs) a picard he's a he's a war captain and he kind of makes that clear early on you know with the simulations you know um you know pushing the crew you know he's pushing Stemmons, you know, because they have to get to this, this outpost to save them. Stamets. So I, I Stamets, sorry. But so I understand where, I understand where he's coming from as a, a captain being in war. I don't think that we've gotten quite the context in this. So it leads us to believe right off the bat that this is a bad guy. Um, but uh, you kind of put that in content. So that's where we are in this episode. You know, it's, it's in the, it's, we're in this Klingon war, even though we haven't gotten to see it yet. You know, there's talking about it. It's made really serious in the show. Um, you know, we get some we get some scenes with the Klingons later on in this episode. 
so a, a lot's going on in this episode. We're getting a Berman, you know, she's she's settling in. She's Burnham. Kind of, Burnham. <laughs> Burnham. She's starting to make friends, um, that kind of thing. So that's where we're at with this episode. Steve, your first thoughts? In some sense, this is a continue. well, this continuation of the last episode, like all of these are going to kind of seem to some extent on the most part. But it also, uh, you know, kind of leaps us forward into the next stages of things, what we see with... Uh, uh, Valk and Laurel, we, knowing what we know at the end of the season, we know what's beginning there on the Klingon side of things. Um, also with, uh, yeah, we're, we're moving forward. We're, uh, we're seeing that, uh, Lork is continuing his ways and, and yeah, you know, it's really, it's really kind of, um, in a twisted fashion, really satisfying to see Landry bite it in this one because man, she, <laughs> she's she gets really tiresome here in her. It's like it's worse than Lorca in a way, you know. It's like you know we, we gotta see some results here. No matter what you say, we're just gonna find a way to you know. Anyway, but um, we see that go down here, and um, and so it's interesting. At least you know at the very least we're getting some insight into what's going on, into what's the secret of uh, how the the sister ship traveled uh, via this method. And of course, in the in the end, we see the first real successful big jumps of uh, discovery, which is the you know the whole core, the spore drive, and so forth. So uh, that's interesting, and um, and obviously it wraps with Giorgio's last will and testament. So we see some. Uh, some kind of movement forward. I was watching them, obviously, for the purpose of our podcast this time, and trying to separate them, uh, needing to be able to think about them as separate episodes. And it was, the first, at least so far, I'm like, well, you know, they kind of do try to stand alone enough. You know, it, it opens and closes with the Giorgio Telescope Testament thing. We see that uh, at the beginning of the episode, she's not comfortable opening it. By the end of the episode, she is. You know, so we've got there is a story that that survives and, and stands alone in this one episode, and there's character development that starts and ends in this episode. So, I mean, it, at least so far, <laughs> I've been able to to think of them in in a way that works for our podcast discussion. But also, in some ways, they're not as serialized as I thought before. So, I don't know. We'll see how that keeps going, but. This so far seems totally doable to me. Yeah, it had another one of those moments at the beginning where it made me think about how good I think Sinequa Martin-Green is. She's got a bit at the beginning where she's puts on the new uniform, which I don't know that I ever need to see that level of close-up on a uniform being created, but okay. <laughs> but she just doesn't have any lines. She's like looking at it, and you kind of know what she's thinking from the look on her face. And she's just, she's good. You know, she does a lot. She's, she's very good. I want to talk about the Klingon stuff for a minute because I don't like it. I think it's, I think it's kind of bad. Vok and Laurel. I don't, I just don't, the reason I think it's bad. I don't, I don't think it's clear enough what the hell they're doing or what their purpose is. Just those two characters, but also in the context of the show, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Um, and I don't really want to, <laughs> and I think the show should, I should. It feels like stuff that should have just been completely cut out. <laughs> I would have enjoyed the episode a lot more. You know, I mean, maybe you, maybe you guys can explain it to me. Takuvma, what, what, what are they doing? They're trying to fix their ship so that they can go tell everybody else the same stuff that Takuvma said in the other episodes. I, I mean, I don't understand any of that. Their entire purpose, and then after other guy shows up and kicks him off. And now she, Lorel tells him, you're going to have to sacrifice everything. I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, I know obviously what's going to happen to Vok, but honestly, the first time I watched it, I don't even think I, because I, I so detested the character, I'm not the characters, but the storyline. I did, it made no sense. I didn't care about it. It took me a while to even understand what happens to Vok. When the first time I saw Shazad Latif just saw, saw his face, I didn't even connect it. That's how much I, didn't care about any of this and it doesn't it just doesn't make sense there's no like there there uh so tell me why i'm wrong and explain it all to me um brian i don't disagree with you <laughs> <laughs> um just because the law i mean even i thought maybe the second time around i would get more into them being actually klingons because you know the way they've changed up the look so much um 
But, it, you know, except for, you know, maybe the, you know, some of the the clothing they wear and the language, it doesn't, you know, it, does, it, it doesn't even feel like they're Klingons to me, to be honest with you. At, no, it at doesn't. Point, at this point. Um, and, yeah, I agree with you. It does, um, you know, um, it, it, and it doesn't get any better from here on out, um, unfortunately. Um, except for maybe the, the very last episode, we get a little bit of more explanation about what's going on. But, yeah, I, I'm with you on the, on this one. I just, I, I just yeah, yeah, and it, it doesn't, it gets worse to be honest, but we can get into that later. Steve, can you enlighten us or? (laughs) Well, you know, I would say overall, I'm in this, I'm in the same camp here that when I saw it for the first time, nothing registered because I I cared much less about what was going on in the Klingon side than what was going on in Discovery. I mean, that's absolutely true. Um, And it's, you know, and, and I, I don't know that it was really worth what it, what it gave us at the end in terms of the kind of the payoff, what they're showing here, maybe if they would have made it more brief or just had little, little shorter blurbs throughout or something that would have, you know, that would have helped a little bit. I I do think it's interesting um, since we are, you know, since we've been analyzing all the Trek series, so we, we have, we can look at them all, you know, and how it's different and how this is certainly a product of its time, how it's, it's a much different thing when we, you know, so far, and I don't think this is going to hold up every time, but, you know, we talk about it being better the next time around, like essentially after we saw the whole series, right? Um, it's very, it's, it's, it's almost like it's made for that, right? It's almost like you can't really analyze it until you've seen the whole thing, you know, and that's not true episodically for all the other Trek series by nature, right? And so I'm not saying that fact makes it worth the prolonged what's the point kind of vibe as we're sitting here watching it but clearly when they're making it that's that is the only point i mean surely they didn't think this was fantastic maybe they did i don't know what when it was going on um but because they're they're going for the payoff they're going for look what we're gonna get to say in episode 13 or whatever it is and we get to show the connection here you know to everybody else but um, it, it is, it's certainly another animal than what we've been doing in the other Trek series where it's almost like you got to see the whole picture and then you can see, was this worth the but, payoff? But this is end. one example where, like so far I've agreed with you every time you've said, I'm enjoying this more than the first time. I mm-hmm. felt that way about the first two episodes. I felt that yeah. way about the last episode. I felt that way about this episode, except for the Klingon stuff. Yeah, The Klingon stuff, I felt exactly the same as I did the first time, where I'm like, well, oh my God, I just want to fast forward through this. No, <laughs> just, I, get, I get you. Well, I tell you what, how I felt was, with as far as the Klingon stuff, is like I almost forgot it happened. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, oh, that's fine. I know what they're doing now. But I, uh, for the life of me, I don't recall putting the connection together when I saw the revelation towards the end of the series of the season. Right. I mean, I, you know, and I say, like, Oh yeah, this happened. And that should have been really obvious going into well, that's what happened good, later. Because I, I thought I was the only one. No, I, I don't think that so. That makes me feel good. Actually. That, that, that makes it seem more like it really was their, their failure. Right. No, but I, but I think, I think it's, I think it's a, it, what, what is interesting about this is that it, it creates a new, a new element here that we haven't had to deal with with any of the Trek series where the writers on the whole know what is happening at the last of the series from the very beginning, pr- pretty much. I mean, more, way, way more so than on all the other Trek series we saw. I mean, where they literally yeah. are just like, you know, day to day, you know, whatever or something. So they, they plan for that. Well, the problem with that is that skews your perspective a little bit. You know, it makes you think. It skews the writer's perspective. Yes, the writer. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, because it makes you think may, maybe this is worthwhile because, look, it's hinting at something. Well, no one gives a crap. If you're hinting at something, if you're hinting at something early on, no one's going to think of anything of it at the time. Especially when it's so obtuse. Yes. Yes. When it's just like a hint, right? It's not, it's not really a hint. It's just kind of like, oh, this makes sense now you know versus then i mean i'm not saying i i i dig the klingon stuff it was it was kind of just you know yeah i i agree it's 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 there and and it it's it's better now that i know what's going on after the fact but knowing what's going on after the fact doesn't make make a repeat viewing good just because it only makes sense after several viewings i mean that's not cool you know so i think the biggest problem i kind of had with it then and i kind of still think so now um it's not like klingons weren't established in a traditional role in enterprise and enterprise took place. What about a hundred years before this? 
and I kind of, you know, and I when they when I was watching this the first time, I had to go back. I had to like read. I'd be like, what are they trying to do with, with this? And you know, they're basically, you know, there's 24 houses of Klingons, and there's different races, and they look different, and that kind of thing, which I accepted. But I think the what they could have done and should have done is just shown us, shown us either leave this out or show us more of the Klingon. If you're going to kind of go into, you know, like, Oh, there's these different um, races and factions of the Klingon empire. Then, then give us more of that because I, I don't feel like any, you know, like I said, we'll go through this when we get through the season. I don't think we've, I don't never felt like we get it, got any kind of traditional Klingon, what we were used to, you know, what we were accustomed to seeing. Um, and like I said, I don't have a problem with them trying to do something different, but I mean, you know, you got to like bring your audience along. And I think this was just too, too dramatic of uh, hey, what we were talking about with profanity. This is, yeah. Just, yeah, we're, we're going to change this just because we want to change it. It's not for any particular reason. That, that's a good point, Adam. That's a very good point. So in the same way that we get, I'm complaining about that. They gave us a prologue, but never told us it was a prologue. I, I still maintain that, but, that did a great job of setting up Michael Burnham, this character that is definitely not what we've ever had in any other Star Trek, you know? And then we followed them uh, to context is for Kings and what the show is going to be, but they didn't do that with the Klingons. There was no such instructional <laughs> uh, video for the Klingons. Like I, I, I actually had to go read an article to figure out what they were trying to do. And that kind of annoyed me. I'm like, they should have, done this in the show this may sound a little dumb but um i think it would have helped a little bit if they would have uh, spoken faster you re you realize how you re read the subtitles and then you're waiting seconds for the scene to end yeah i mean that's cool that they respect the the, the homemade language they made and stuff and it's consistent that's cool i mean from a geeky perspective and all that but man if the thing just drags out it just it just totally puts the brakes on things. Well, you know? and I think part of the reason that, that that happens is because you you know it's a made up language and you know the actors they don't speak this. They're just they're just mimicking sounds and they've been read they read on a page what those sounds mean so they can try to have an actual dialogue and put the emotions in the right spot, but they're still just made up sounds, made up words. And you feel like the effort that it has. It would be like as trying to ask somebody uh, like, I don't know, ask Tom Cruise to speak French in a movie and he doesn't speak French. I, I don't know. Actually, maybe he does. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Right. So let's say you ask Tom Cruise uh, to speak French in a movie and he doesn't speak French and you just give him the sounds. What is that going to sound like? Not just to a French person, but to anybody around the world, you know, it's going to sound like this weird effort thing that never feels natural, but these Klingons are supposed to be, <laughs> that's their language. And it never feels that way to me. It, it never feels like... Honestly, Star Trek Three, my favorite freaking Star Trek movie. One of my favorite movies ever. I've watched that movie so many times that I know all the Klingon words. And it doesn't sound like they... <laughs> it has the exact same problem. It's not any better than this. When he says, kill one of them, I don't care which. Tashok Bay. He's like, Tashok Bay. It doesn't... The words... The, the sounds don't go together the right way. Right? It, I'm sure it looks great on the page. But he doesn't know what the hell these things mean because it's not a lot of the real language. So I think if it, yeah, if it was not just faster but less of it, I think there's like literally twice twice as much as they as they should have in this in this episode, and all that work and effort for so little. First appearance of Doctor Culber. Yeah, I think he's listed as a guest star and not like a series regular for this season. Kind of like a. Uh, D. Kelly in the original series, he's going to be main person in the next couple seasons. But I, I like Wilson Cruz, the actor. I, th I think he's he's grown on me. He felt very nondescript the first time I saw it. So the first time we see him today, and maybe that's just because he's only like we finally see him and he's in like a scene. But I, I like him. I, I like his. He's the first doctor that has like a bedside manner, which is what you know you'd think that'd be important for a doctor. But I never thought that about. Unless it was to notice that it was a bad one, like with the holographic doctor on Voyager or something. But so I like him. I like I like the character. I like the performance. There's just not much. He doesn't have a lot to do. The other thing I want to make sure to mention is I like how kind of out there some of the the narrative stuff is. Just the entire concept of this nutty spore drive and the the macroscopic <laughs> tardigrade eating the spores and I mean it. it 
it doesn't make sense. And I wish I felt, I wish I felt like the writers, it made sense to the writers. Cause I kind of feel like it doesn't to them sometimes either. And they just, just throw lines out there. But I just love the, the general incredible fantasy sci-fi level of it. I've talked about this on our show before, but when I'm, when there's something you're like, I'm kind of surprised they were able to realize this in an episode because it seems like this is something that would fit like great in a Star Trek novel, but not actually be put in an episode. I think it's cool that they did that. You know, in the previous episode, we didn't mention it, but, you know, when she uses Tilly's breath to break in and see the foresty area, which, by the way, you would think they'd have something in the future that works a little better for security than that, but whatever. You know, that was the same kind of thing, very fantastic sci-fi novel kind of stuff that I think is cool when they're able to get it fit in. And the same thing in here, just this entire concept of this, of this the sport drive is, is so nutty and banana pants, and maybe they never quite sell me on it, but it, I just love that they're shooting for that, and I think it's and I think it's a neat, crazy, cool idea. And, and when the ship, by the way, it's, yeah, this is the first time we've really seen them do their black alert jump thing. Sport, what do they call that? Do they have a name for that jump? Um, I think they just say black alert jump. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Well, that is the, a super cool effect when it spins and <laughs> it's really neat. And the sound, I said the sound is better on the blue than the stream. Like they really put a bunch into the LFE, you know, kind of shakes my room. It's, it's neat. I, I love that effect. I'm like, you, you could just do that more. <laughs> Let's cut out some of those Klingon scenes and just do more jumps. That'd be neat. <laughs> we're going to test the spore drive here. Yeah, we're going to test the spore drive. So yeah, that, you know all that stuff. That stuff is pretty cool, and I enjoy it. But the Klingon stuff, not so much. Even seeing the Shenzo, I thought it was kind of interesting the concept that they would have left it there. Just you know that it's been through this battle, and this is its final resting place. This this ship. What's this episode about? What I kind of what I what I got one of the things it's about. You know, you had Michael Burnham working on this tardigrade, and she's using. Her sign, you know, not not just to make it into a weapon. So it's like you know, finding your your moral guidance. And I, I agree with you, Steve. The the first officer who got murdered wasn't a, wasn't a bad thing. She was a bit annoying. So you know, she's being pushed in this direction to 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 compromise her moral code to you know to to purposely you know use this creature as a weapon no matter what. And um, she was able to get past that and find. At the moment, a positive, a positive, you know, relationship with the starter grade. Obviously, by the end of this episode, we see that the the, the jump has a serious effect on the starter grade, and you know, we'll deal with that in future episodes. But and it's cool that you really feel like she's the only person on the ship that could have figured all that out. Right. She needed to make certain uh, leaps, and she was the only one that could do it. They have her set up as like the smartest person in the room, and that you know, being you know, raised a Vulcan and going to all the different. Um, the Vulcan Science Academy, that kind of thing. So we we know that um, Michael's got a brain on her. So it, it's kind, of, it's very much kind of like she kind of has that Spock aura. You know, she's the smartest person in the room. So, and I think they've set that up well. Obviously, her being you know, you know, adopted sister to Spock. But it wasn't but, just intelligence. Like, you know, there's there's an intuition, there's a leap there, there's a connection of all these disparate facts. And she does a great, you know, she does a great job. Just um, she's really good with facial expressions. Um, You know, you can kind of read the compassion and the sensitivity just in her eyes. So she's really, really good at that. So you, you, you feel Michael's morality through her performance. So that comes through. Steve, what do you got for what it's about? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think what's interesting about this lead character is that. I mean, here she's like beginning this journey to finding her confidence again. You know, she essentially went so far as to uh, mutiny on the Shinjo and against her captain that she's been with for so long because she thought that she was in the right. You know, she thought that, you know, there were some nuances she was missing. And so she's got to like rebuild her entire her whole vibe of confidence that she can she can do things right again and this is like the 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 first big step you know and and you even have saru who is um you know kind of you know hitting her pretty hard like you'll fit right in with Lorca, and now that you've done this and all this stuff too but over the course yeah i really thought that line should have been he felt like the jackass was implied at the end you'll fit right in with Lorca, jackass right (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so you know i mean in that sense he's serving as just kind of the 
opposition voice, you know, against what she's doing. But essentially, she's just in the face of all that. She's like, well, you know what? I'm sticking with my instincts. We we know she's intelligent. You know, that's that's and she's got all sorts of skills. But it's it's rebuilding that confidence in her in her gut and her morals and doing the right thing and all of that. And this and I think this episode is the first step in that. That's what it is for me. Cool. Six degrees for butcher's knife, Adam. Yes. Corvan Corvan Two was previously mentioned in Next Gen season five episode New Ground. Who comes to spend some time with Worf in this episode? Um, Alexander. Yes. Writing the questions is a new experience here because I'm so used to just doing six degrees because. Lots of people played lots of other roles. So now I'm just trying to do trivia, but even trivia is kind of a weird thing. So I'm sure I'll get better at it, folks. <laughs> Sorry. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, hopefully we get better at what the episode is about, too, because it's, 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 it's serialized, but it's not, like you said, Brian, it's not as serialized as what you're talking about. But yeah, things kind of just run together. <laughs> well, I felt like you guys did a good job on uh, Butcher's Knife, so maybe that one was more clear. Yeah. Yeah, this episode was kind of more about the progression of Michael as opposed to like what they're trying to say in the episode, I guess. All right. Well, there wasn't really any Star Trek news. We're still in those like January doldrums, but um, we thank you very much for spending an hour with us. And we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next two episodes of Star Trek's Discovery's first season. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. So thanks again for spending the hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.